Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So we we live in a time when marriage vows are not as permanent as God intended for them to be. And I ask myself the question, why why is that? And maybe, I, I thought maybe it's because vows have changed. I'm, I'm aware, as I work with couples and, and do weddings, I'm aware that there are lots of new variations on the traditional vows that, that used to be used pretty much exclusively by anybody who was getting married. And so I did a little internet research to see, well, what are some of these modern vows out there? And there, there's a lot of them, and not all of them are, are bad, but I, I wanted to highlight one for you here um, so we'll, I'll just read this to you and then we'll talk about it for a minute. This is a vow. Okay, you are my best friend. I love you with all my heart and stand here before all of our friends and family on this, the happiest day of my life. I want nothing more than to share my future with you, my triumphs and my challenges, my joys and my sorrows. Together, I know we can accomplish the life we both dream of living. All right, so that, that pegs out on the warm and fuzzy-ometer. I mean, there's, there's lots of like, you know, best friend and my heart and happiest day of my life. Here, here's, I'm, and if anybody watching online or, you know, if any of you use this, then, you know, my apologies, but, you know, we, we need to shred this a little bit. I mean, what, what is missing from this vow? There's no, well, God is missing. That's true um, for sure. There's, there's no promise here. There, there is no I will. There's only, there's kind of I want, really. Like, I want nothing more than to share my future. I mean, there, there's no commitment here. And so it's like, wow, I, I don't know. I shudder a little bit if somebody is making that promise to me. So I think, well, maybe, maybe it's vows like that that are leading to the you know, the, the breakdown of marriages. But then I got this, this statistic sent to me, this little, this article sent to me about a gray divorce. Have you heard that term? So gray divorce is, is people who are, are gray and getting divorced, older, older folks like, like myself, um, but I'm not getting divorced. So anyway, um, but here's the statistic. Here's the statistic. This is very, very sobering. For, for those over 65, it, they are three times as likely to divorce as they were in 1990. So that's a little over 30 years ago. Three, three times as many divorces are happening amongst those who are over 65. And so I'm, I'm thinking, I think probably that those who are over 65 probably used those more traditional vows that said, you know, till death do us part and, you know, for better, for poorer, for richer, for richer, poor. Yeah. Um, anyway, I always have them to read. So I, I know what I'm saying better. But I, I think, well, it's probably not just the vows. And we know it's not just the vows. It's not just the things that people are saying. It's, it's, it's 
the lack of commitment. It's the culture around us that's also affirming that, well, you know, a marriage commitment is really not as permanent as it used to be. The truth is that we all have a vow-keeping problem. I mean, I was going through some, some papers and trying to clean up some to-dos that, that I need to get caught up on, and I came across a note where I had made a promise to do some research on a theological topic and get back to someone, and that was dated August. I mean, I still haven't done it, so I'm like, wow. And, and please know that if you ever ask me for something, you know, if you ever come to me and say, you know, can you help me out with this issue? And please never say, it's no rush, okay? <laughs> do, do not say that because, you know, the, there's a whole pile over here that are rush items, and so they're gonna have to get done first. Yours is gonna, no, don't, just don't say it, okay? But so I have problems following through. I did tell someone, I'm gonna get back to you on this. And then, then there are the broken promises we make to God. I mean, there are the times that we say, God, I will, I will never do that again. I will never go back to that sin again. Or God, I'm gonna, I, I promise this year, I'm gonna pray um, every night before I go to bed. Now, if you, if you decide to do that, please do not get into bed and then pray because, and think you're gonna pray because then it's probably not gonna happen. But, you know, God, I'm, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read the scripture every, every day. I'm gonna do my best, God, to keep the greatest commandment when Jesus says to love the Lord your God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. We, we have a hard time living up to the promises that we make to God. And this morning, um, yeah, well, I'll just ask the question, and this is rhetorical, so you don't have to say anything out loud, but how do you think God responds to our vow-breaking? Now, not somebody else's vow-breaking, okay? You might have an opinion about that, but how do you think God responds to my vow-breaking before him? We're gonna talk about that this morning, and the answer to that question that we see in Scripture may not be what you expect. If you take a Bible and turn to Hosea chapter 2, we are in a series studying this book of Hosea. We called the series God's Way with the, the Wayward. And just by way of summary, for those who may not have been with us, chapter one of Hosea introduces us to this shocking object lesson where God asks the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. Like that, that's shocking. Like that's like, really God, you, you want... You want me to do what? But Hosea is obedient, and he, and he does, and it becomes an illustration. God's asking this because he wants a real-life living illustration of the way the nation of Israel is relating to God himself. And so chapter one is this object lesson. Chapter two then, we, we started last week, becomes this, we called it the song of the faithful husband. So in the face of a, a nation 
that is, is prostituting itself, is going to false gods. The, God is the faithful husband, and he's, he's singing after the one that he wants to woo back. Now, chapter three today, we're going we're to continue in chapter two today, and then chapter three, we're going to return to the object lesson for, for one more time, and then that'll, that's actually it for the rest of of the book. So that's just a little bit of overview here. I want to begin where we ended last week, which is this beautiful picture of God calling his people, his wayward people back to where they started. Verse 14, chapter two, verse 14. Therefore, this is God speaking. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. If you missed last week, you might want to go back and and listen to that because there's a whole lot packed into that history there, the valley of Achor. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. He's he's taking her back to, to the beginning and I want, to, I want you to notice something that I did not point out last week, and that is that God makes some promises here in these verses. He says, I will, two times. So in verse 14, he says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. I'm going to draw her. I'm going to invite her back to the wilderness, back to the beginning Verse 15, there I will give her her vineyards. He's restoring something that he took away in judgment back in verse 12, where he says, I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees. So there are, there are many more I will statements, and that's kind of what we're, what we're really keying in on today. So watch with me as, as we read, starting in verse 16. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them. Here, this would be fun. You you guys are reading along. Why don't you, every time we come to an I will, you can just read that with me, okay? Why don't we do that? So let's, let's back up. This will be fun. Verse 17. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever." I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Good job. That was good. I will over and over and over again, seven times here actually. And then we get to uh, verse 19. I will betroth you to me. So that phrase gets repeated three times. Betrothal is a big deal in the the history of the Hebrew people. The, The word betrothal means to promise by one's truth. 
to make a promise by one's truth. It's talking about the, it's talking about making a promise, giving one, giving your word. Okay. Um, we, we don't talk about that a lot, maybe now as we used to, but giving your word when your your word means I'm I'm staking myself on this. You can you can count on me to do this, to promise by one's truth, to break a betrothal. So betrothal was the closest thing we, we can think of it is an engagement, right? You're engaged to someone means you're, you're planning to be married. But betrothal was a step up from, from our engagement because it was actually a legally binding relationship. And so to break a betrothal meant that you, you, were, you had to go to the law courts, and, and get a legal proceeding just like if you were going to get a divorce. We, we know this from the, the narrative, the, the Christmas narrative, right? Um, Joseph and Mary were betrothed to one another. And when Joseph found out that Mary is expecting a child and he knows it's not his, it, it says that he was planning to put her away quietly like without making a big deal of it. So that putting away, that's a legal process that he was gonna have to to go through. So God here is saying, God here is saying to the nation of, of Israel that has been running away from him, that has been running after other false gods, he is saying, verse 19, I will betroth you to me. We're starting this over. I'm offering to you, I'm holding out the option to you to start this over again and go back to the beginning. And he says it three times. Three times, the number three in scripture is a number of completion. We see it in the Trinity. God exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see it in the patriarchs. There are three patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Daniel prayed three times a day. Jesus was tempted three times. There there are many, many other examples that we could give. And so God, God says, I will betroth you to me three times. And he qualifies his betrothal. He says, he, he is making a commitment that is permanent. So verse 19 says, I will betroth you to me forever. He he is making a commitment for their thriving. He says, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love, in mercy. Those are all qualities for a community to, to thrive. If a community is going to do well, they need all of those things in place. They need to be living righteously. They need to be having justice balanced with mercy, and they need to have steadfast love, which is the, the Hebrew word hesed, or hesed, I can't do that very well, hesed, yeah, okay. So it's the Hebrew word that means a covenant kind of love. This is a committed kind of love. And then this is a commitment to faithfulness. Verse 20, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. We sang a lot about that this morning. I want you to imagine something with me this morning. This will be harder for those of you who are younger, but 
but easier for those who are older. I want you to imagine that you have gone wayward on a significant other or someone who is very important to you in your life. So if you're, if you're married, you'll probably think of a spouse. If you're not, you'll think of a close friend or a family member, someone that you have betrayed. And then imagine that person coming to you with you not doing anything or changing anything that you're doing, not, not repenting or saying you're sorry, but the other person comes to you and says, let's renew our vows. Let's, let's renew our commitment to friendship. I mean, that, that is what God is doing here. I mean, Israel hasn't done anything, but God is coming after them and saying, I, I will betroth you to me. I mean, this is a picture of God moving toward us because God's faithfulness far eclipses our unfaithfulness. God's faithfulness, his faithfulness is so vast and so great and his faithfulness to his promises, his faithfulness to, to love us. It far eclipses our unfaithfulness. And so sometimes you, you and I, when we are unfaithful to a promise that we have made to God, sometimes we end up beating ourselves up. And we feel like that's the noble thing to do. Well, naturally, I, I mean, I, I blew it. So I should kind of beat myself up. I should do some, some penance. But the, what, what we see here in God's attitude and his approach toward us is, is that we, just, we need to stop looking down and we need to just look up at him. We need to stop looking at ourselves and we need to look at how amazingly kind and generous he is and the fact that he is willing to come after an unfaithful wayward people and say, I will betroth you to me. That's what I want in our relationship. God's faithfulness far eclipses our unfaithfulness. You know what an eclipse is? In an eclipse, something gets hidden. So the moon, if it's a, if it's a lunar eclipse, the moon is still there, but there's something in front of it that occupies our attention more. I mean, that, that blocks that out, actually. And that's, that's what God's faithfulness does for us. Faith, God's faithfulness comes in between our failures and blocks, blocks that out. We, we don't even need to worry about that anymore. We just focus on God's faithfulness and kindness. The, the end of this seg segment here in verse 20 after God says all of these I wills, he says, you shall know the Lord. That's God's goal for us. That, that know there is the Hebrew yada. That, that is not, that's not a, an intellectual knowing. That is, a, that is a close, intimate knowing. That's an Adam knew his wife Eve kind of knowing. He, that's what God wants is for us to know him, to be close to him. There are still, I have to keep moving, there are still more I wills. Okay, let's read on verse 21. 
And in that day, oh, let's, let's read it together. All right, there's more. So verse 21, in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. This is so amazing because if, if you were here for, for, for chapter one, you, you will recognize the three names that, that Hosea's named his children. And this is the reversal of the judgment that was handed out in, verse, in chapter one. So we have Jezreel in verse 22. And then back in chapter one, we talked about that word meaning scatter because it was judgment there. And God was saying, I'm going to scatter you among the nations. The, the word Jezreel can also be translated so. And so that's not hard to see that it could mean both of those things, right? Because when you sow, you're scattering things. But here, God is very clear. I'm gonna sow her for myself in the land. This is the reversal of the exile. I'm gonna scatter you from the land, Jezreel, but I'm going to bring you back and I'm gonna sow you in the land and you're gonna grow and you're gonna thrive. This is the reversal of the, the judgment. And then he says, I will have mercy on no mercy, lo ruhama, no, no mercy. Now I'm going to have mercy. And, and I will say to not my people, lo ami, you are my people. And then the response, he shall say, you are my God. All in all, God says, I will 24 times in chapter two. 10 of those times, our judgment, that, was, that happened earlier in the chapter. Later, though, where we've read today, we've seen 14 promises where God says, I will, which tells me that God's desire to bless is greater than his desire to, to bring judgment. I mean, that's not God's first, first choice, to bring judgment. He does it because we bring it on ourselves because we choose our own way, and so he has to bring discipline on us. But that may be a surprise for, for some of you. Maybe some of you just have a picture in your mind of God is just waiting. He's just waiting to zap me because I've done something wrong. That's what we, we see really clearly here that's not God's heart at all. He, he only brings discipline because he, he has to. This also tells me all of these I will statements tell me that God is doing a lot and his people are doing very, very little. So we'll see the response that God is looking for from his people before we end today. But what we see here is God's faithfulness far eclipsing our unfaithfulness. All right, now we come to chapter three. A uh, very short chapter, only five verses. Chapter three is the last installment of this living object lesson. Verse one, 
And the Lord said to me, so this is Hosea speaking in first person. The Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. All right, let's pause here for a second. What's cakes of raisins? What is that all about? It was very common in ancient Near East worship of false gods to use baked goods. And so the, the point of this, this verse is that there's this huge incongruity when, when you think that these, these people have traded the true God who, who loves them, rescued them from slavery, wants to bless them in so many ways. They've, they've traded that for a false God and raising cakes. Like, it's just kind of meant to be ridiculous. Like, really? You're, you're going to make that exchange? Like, that's, that's crazy. I'll just note here that I always like to read as I'm, I'm studying, like, what different authors and commentators and students of the Bible um, consider the key verse of a particular book. So back when we were in Romans, right, you, you heard Romans 1.17 over and over and over again as the key, key verse. So... Um, one, at least one commentary, considers this the key verse of the whole book of Hosea because it gives the imagery, the startling, shocking imagery of, of Hosea going to a woman who's loved by another man as an adulteress. But then it, and then it gives the explanation here, which is the core of, of the message here. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel and is willing, because the Lord is demonstrating, he's willing to run after those who have been unfaithful to him. So not everybody thinks this is the key verse, but some do, and I, I think it's not a bad choice. Verse 2. So I, Hosea, bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Okay, he went after her. He had to buy her because at this point, apparently she had to sell herself as a slave and she was no longer able to, to support herself. Some, some Bible students see in this the, the, the equivalent of the cost of buying a slave. So 15 shekels of silver, that the, the rest, the, the barley would have added up to 15 shekels. Uh, that would have been 30 shekels. If you go back to Exodus, that was the value seen there for a slave. So Hosea had to redeem her. He had to buy her out of a situation that she could not rescue herself from. And so he brings her home and gives her clear expectations. Verse three, I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. So Hosea knows Gomer well enough by now to know that this needs to be spelled out right, that he needs to say to her, no, you, you need to stay with me. Like, I'm your husband. You need to stay here and don't go be with anybody else. But then he makes a commitment to her and says, you must dwell as mine and so will I also be 
to you. It's interesting here that there's no response from Gomer recorded at all. This is all Hosea's initiation. And I have to say here, I mean, he's, he's being obedient to the Lord. And so we have that on one level. But on the, on the other level, we, we see that, I mean, this is just, it, he's demonstrating a stubborn love. I mean, this, this is a love that is not about, it, this is love that is, it's about internal, internal commitment, not external attractiveness, which brings us back to the whole idea of the vows, right? The, the commitments that we make. This, it, I mean, I think so many relationships, we, we know this, uh, so many relationships today are driven by external attractiveness. And I'm not just talking about physical attractiveness. I'm just saying, as long as you are pleasing to me in some way, as long as I enjoy you, then I'll stay with you. I mean, Hosea's got none of that going on here. None of that's going on. I mean, maybe she was physically attractive. I don't know. But there's, there's, there's very little going on here in terms of attractiveness for her. There's an internal commitment for him. He's saying, I'm, I'm being obedient to the Lord. It's another picture that God's, God's faithfulness far eclipses our unfaithfulness. Remember, Hosea is modeling for us in a living object lesson, the love and the commitment of God. So that's the living illustration. Now we apply that to Israel, the nation. Verse four, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. This is a, this is a description of the exile. He's saying you're, you're not going to have um, your own sovereign leaders. You're, you're going to be without. You're not going to be able to worship in the way that you've been worshiping, which isn't right. But you're, you're just not going to have freedom for any of those things. They will be uprooted and scattered from the land. Thankfully, okay. Thankfully, the prophecy ends on a positive note, and and it does it because this is a recap from last week. God's discipline is designed to restore relationships. So God brings the discipline of exile and he does it with the goal of a happy ending, which we see in verse five. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So some prophecies from the, from the prophets are imminent. They're, they're going to happen very soon. We, we see that with the exile, as Hosea talks about that. That's going to happen within 50 years. Okay, that sounds like a lot to, to us, but in the whole scheme of history, like 50 years isn't very long. So some prophecies are going to happen pretty soon. Then there are others like this that are long-range, I mean, how it, end, it ends here with in the latter days. So at the very end of this living object lesson, there, there's this genuine return to the true God, Yahweh. He says that they will return and seek the Lord 
their God. They will come in fear to the Lord. That, that literally translates, they will tremble their way to Yahweh. Which, that's a, really, that's a really good way to come after you've been so wayward for so long, right? And that, that's a really good way is to come humbly, trembling to him. If you remember back several weeks when we talked about Jeroboam the king, we talked about the fact that our, our reverence is more important to God than our resume, right? So God is looking for reverence. This is an expression of reverence. And then it's interesting here that in the middle of that, it talks about David their king. They will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They'll seek David their, their king. After the exile of, of Judah, so Israel is exiled first, the southern kingdom. Judah, I'm sorry, I've got it backwards. Israel is the northern kingdom. They're exiled first. And Judah, the southern kingdom, will be exiled next. And then after they're exiled, there are no more kings in the line of David until, until the Messiah, Jesus. And so remember, Jesus, which the, the Hebrew rendering of that is Yeshua, which is the same root as Hosea, means salvation. Jesus knew firsthand the truth that God's faithfulness far out, far eclipses our unfaithfulness. See, Jesus saw our unfaithfulness and he pressed through it to go to the cross. He, he died there to pay the blood price to redeem you and me. And he spent three days in the grave to say, I will betroth you to me. I will betroth you to me. I will betroth you to me. And in his death, he kept the promise to move us from not my people to my people. Peter says this in his first letter, quoting Hosea, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Peter takes what was written hundreds of years before and applies it now to those who are in Christ. I want to take a second here to return to where we started with marriage vows. And I want to say something that's really countercultural and may step on some toes. So just get ready. Um, but it's vital that we form our views based on what our creator says and not what our culture says. Um, if your spouse walks away from you, you do well to pay attention to God's example and Hosea's example in, in this prophetic book. Um, even if they have committed adultery or abandonment, because that's exactly what's happening in, in this book. Don't be quick to divorce. 
So I want to be quick to say, I also don't want anybody staying in a place where you're not safe. Okay, so it's, it's really important, it's really good to get godly counsel in these kind of situations, because every situation is different, I know. But generally speaking, our, our culture practices very easy divorce. God practices prolonged pursuit. And so I think there's, there's two ends of, there's two ways divorce can happen. One is if your spouse walks away from you, and one is if you walk away from your spouse. And I think the message of Hosea speaks to, to both of those. God may want to use you, and I, I dare say he always does want to use us as a change agent in whatever situation. If you're in a situation that's just a melting down mess, God still, he wants to use you in some way as a change agent. Now, you may not be able to rescue it, and that may not be God's ultimate outcome in that situation, but I would just encourage you, in light of what I am understanding as I read Hosea, don't you be the one to walk away. And if someone walks away from you, don't be quick to, to end that, to sign those papers, to, um, to, re, to, to remarry if they, if they go ahead and follow through with the divorce. Don't be quick to remarry. Leave space that God may still change their heart. That's the business he's in, in, in the chapters that we're reading. Some of us have been beating ourselves up for vow breaking of a variety of means, trying to pay our own redemption. Sin stains us too much for us to be able to pay for it ourselves. The cost is too high for us. We need someone else to rescue us. The cost is not too high for God to pay. And so the call to us today is to, to stop trying. Stop focusing on your ability to be faithful and start trusting God's faithfulness. There's, after the service is over, our prayer team will be up here. We would love the opportunity to talk more about that with you. We also have on our website a Trust Jesus page. And so if you would like to go check that out and read that in private, that's, that's great. Um, but again, if you have any questions, we would love to, to talk with you. Well, end with 1 Peter 1 assuring us that God has the ability to redeem us. It says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your blood. We, we sang that earlier. Thank you for your blood applied to us. Thank you, God, that you are a God who pursues. You are a God who does not just leave us 
to our own ends, but you come, come after us in so many different ways. Thank you for this sobering, shocking, but, but really beautiful picture of your love that we see in this, in this book of Hosea. Would you, Lord, um, just burn these messages into our hearts? Speak, speak to us in, in what you would have us do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.